Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. It's Jim Cramer here. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Don't miss a minute of the action. Good Thursday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer and David Faber at the New York Stock Exchange. Futures have been weak all morning as China switches its methodology on the novel coronavirus, resulting in nearly 15,000 additional cases and the testing, uh, the thesis of a rebound. Europe's been watching that same macro dynamic all day today. Ten-year briefly dips below 157, although oil is hanging on to 51. Our robot begins with coronavirus cases surging as the Chinese province at the heart of the outbreak begins using a faster method to diagnose the virus. Plus, Tesla shares are falling this morning. Uh, This because the company announced a $2 billion offering of common stock. And speaking of Tesla, why one legendary investor says he would, quote, never buy it and I would never sell it short. We'll begin, though, with coronavirus fears weighing on the global markets. Obviously, this move is not just the methodology change, uh, Jim, but uh, firing some top officials. Uh, There's a couple stories on the wires comparing it to a boardroom reset. Yeah, it does seem that whatever decisions we've made based on the numbers that were coming out were decisions that won't hold up. Uh, What I want to try to caution people is yesterday, uh, the mood of Wall Street was, hey, this thing's beaten. Today, uh, the mood is, is that we're all going to die. You did did say yesterday, don't be complacent. Right. Well, because what happens is, is that if you're them, if you're the Chinese, there's tremendous pressure, obviously, on these local officials to not frighten people. They want people to go back to work. They didn't handle it right. But look, Japan's not handling the cruise ship right. I mean, are we reluctant to? I mean, that's they're doing it just as badly as the Chinese. All I'm trying to do is please don't swing every single one of these. This is not a. It's obviously the, the numbers worse. There are countries that are better gauged. Singapore. They're doing a really great job. And they actually are finding a lot more cases than they should relative to other countries like Indonesia or Philippines, which should be having more. But where I'm going to is say you don't want to jump to the conclusion that this thing is now going to spread like wildfire. What I think you have to come down to saying this is a really horrible flu season. Uh, It's worse in China with this new strain. Uh, But stop investing on it. Stop making decisions based on how you think it's going to be, because it's going to change radically every day. And you're going to end up buying something high and selling it low. So just think, if it's got some sort of a problem, MGM, okay, Las Vegas Sands. The other day, a firm raised Las Vegas Sands. Well, that was wrong, because MGM just told you that it's much worse. Goldman today upgrades Caterpillar. Well, that's going to be wrong, because China's going to be slow. Well, what about when the Times does a piece on cruise operators saying bookings are down 10 to 15? Just hold through that, too? Um, no, some uh, travel travel is bad. I think travel's having a, a very big reset. Uh, and I have said that the hotels should all be sold. I think the cruise ships, I don't understand yesterday. I said how Carnival could say, listen, this could cost us 55 to 65 cents, and the stock me up a dollar. I said at the top of the show, don't react that way either. Don't say, hey, you know what, we're all clear, so that number's okay. All I'm saying is understand we're not all clear. And some things are less Marriott. Marriott is what was almost at an all-time high. 
They have, I remember when they bought Starwood. Remember Starwood had they the CEO of Starwood lived in China for a month just because they had so much business in China. So all I'm saying is tr- try to try to not jump up and down on every number because there's going to be other numbers. There's going to be I was reading the Harvard Gazette this morning. Hey, I'll do anything. There's a professor, Mark Lipsitz. What's he say, Lipsitz? We are, it's a gathering storm that it's, you know, going to come here. It's going to come here and hit us hard. And it's like, no, don't let that, don't invest on that. There's the concerns, obviously, about health, which are paramount. And then there's also the impact it's having on the Chinese economy. When I talk to CEOs of companies who have manufacturing capacity in the country, whether it's in the province that is under total quarantine or not, uh, they sort of shake their heads. This has happened a number of times and say, I, I don't quite understand why the stock market keeps going up. Well, that said, they are watching closely to see who's reported back to work in areas that don't include uh, Wuhan in that area. And what, what are they uh, saying? And people are showing up. Yes, people they are. are showing up. Um, they're not back to full capacity whatsoever. And again, not in Hubei province. I'm probably not pronouncing it properly, but but uh, but they are coming back to work. But when you get a, a spike in cases like they did yesterday, that does put in question how many are going to show up, right. not show up, who goes, who's, who gets back to full capacity at any point. But it's having an impact, no doubt about it, in terms of the ability of that economy, which we all rely on, or so many companies rely right. on, to produce things, period. Well, put, and put, consume them, by the way, as well. Apple stores are going to reopen on Valentine's Day, some locations, and for limited hours. But that's directionally encouraging. Yeah. I, look, I, I just know that 48 hours ago, things were starting to look better. Yesterday, we heard containment. And today, we're starting to think of, okay, now it's going to start popping up everywhere. And I, I'm going for a middle ground. If you own stocks that are really related to travel and leisure involving China, you're going to get hit and decide whether you can own it through that. A, a, a lot of people I've talked to about cruise ships have said, you know what, I'm never going to take another cruise again. And I heard that when there was an accident off of the coast of Italy right. with Carnival. And then what happened? They came right back. I heard it when, uh, I, boy, I, you heard it with Ebola, and they came back. Decide what kind of um, risk tolerance you have. Otherwise, just stay away from anything related to China because it's going to be very rocky every day. And I think that we're going to see more things like what's happening in Japan right now, where they really don't know what to do. They act like they're in control with this uh, diamond princess. But are they? Yeah, the accuracy of the clinical data is uh, one thing to watch. Yes. Uh, by the way, uh, we've been doing this special report every evening at 7 p.m., and we'll do it again tonight. It's a nice 30-minute basket of all the coronavirus news throughout the course of the day. It's not very market-centric. Uh, it's more about the policy and corporate effect. Uh, but it's definitely worth checking out. Begins at 7 p.m. right here on well, CNN. Then you talk about that. I find that it's met, you know, it's our own program. You see, it's our own pipe. You just want measured stuff. That's all I want. I don't want to. I don't want people to swing. You know, one day gather the really sophisticated 3M mass, and then the next day offer them on eBay because you know, yeah. Let's have some measure here. No, no doubt. And finally, a final thought on the consumer in China, because we did get Alibaba earnings as well. And I mean, even on the call, they talk about the fact that consumption in China contributed 58 percent of China's economic growth in 2019. It accounted for 3.5 percentage points of China's GDP growth. Online retail, obviously, up a lot more than overall, 19 and a half percent. And they say these, it's clear consumption has become the major driver of economic growth in China. And online retail, of course, leading that. So this is not just about the exports from that economy being put on hold. It's also the Chinese consumers sitting home and not doing anything. 
I just yeah. except maybe ordering on Alibaba. I know. Right. You can get the delivery guy to come. Those stocks have been red hot. You know the JD.com, the Chinese stocks. It, it's very clear that it, it must be difficult to sell over there because the, I don't feel allowed to. I, I, honestly, I mean, there's not there's like the hottest market in the world. Yeah. I mean, that's a little counterintuitive, isn't it? Tesla sells a lot of, potentially a lot of automobiles there. Well, they can sell. Remember oh. I told you that Tesla could sell $2 billion the moment it wanted to? Yes, and they did. Thank and you. they are. Uh, down in the pre-market on this uh, news, they're going to sell up to $2 billion in stock to strengthen the balance sheet. Musk's going to buy up to $10 million worth. Of course, 15 days ago, they said they would not raise capital, but... Uh, things changed. The stock was 580 then. Stocks are huge. I mean, it, it had a couple years worth of growth in the stock, and uh, he does have great expansion plans. Also, it, it is a little more prudent. Ten days ago, we weren't as worried about China. Uh, I mentioned during the tease with Squawk that Ralph Lauren told you ten days ago things look pretty good. They put out some numbers today which says things look pretty bad. So there are there's real changes. I think that Musk, obviously, like everybody else, is trying to keep his workers healthy and but wants to expand there and. He's got a chance. Why not take advantage of it? I think there are some people who don't understand that there is no law against a stock going appreciating 100 points and you now selling where you wouldn't have down below 100. He didn't do anything wrong. If anything, he did what you want. So the couple questions being asked this morning is, uh, should they have done more? Uh, Will they do more even? And then who else follows suit? Right. Are they opening the door for others, too, who've had similar price action? Not well, many have had similar price I mean, I'm action. thinking people Eat. toss out Shopify. Why not? Why not take advantage? Well, uh, you know, I had Shopify on last night, and uh, they are uh, they're flush, but they don't need the money. Do they don't they? need the money. Yeah. they don't need the money. They don't want to dilute themselves. A lot of these companies say, "Listen, why should we do this? We don't need to dilute ourselves." That, that was something that Elon Musk said, but now. You know, it's free money. Yeah, well, $2 billion on $140 billion market cap is not going to dilute you that much either. He has plants he wants to build. I mean, maybe his look at Germany is, is that he could build two more plants if he just had a little more capital. Right. Not to mention he puts $10 million in, but remember we pointed out his comp, which seems very much now going to be, given the, the average stock price where it needed to be above 100 bill, uh, he's going to take in, what, $360 million, something like that, uh, just alone in, 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 uh, in additional in his options vesting, I guess, is what it is, right? I mean, if you give him a net worth of $30 billion, uh, $10 million a stock is three-tenths. Yeah. Uh, yeah it's, but, uh, hey. Uh, that's all right. Um, by the way, they are recalling 15,000 uh, models. Right, that was uh, important. That was another piece of news. And then China retail car sales came in for January down 21.6. It's an industry group survey. Uh, so we know what's going on, and February is going to probably be worse. Yeah, I just think that anybody who has a lot of business in China would do best to try to figure out how much money they need if it doesn't come back online until, say, the summer. I mean, it, it, not unlike what Southwest is doing, by the way, with with the the, the with the Max, or saying, listen, let's go. What? How August, far can go? August. August. No, these are the two big issues in the world. I don't want to conflate. Obviously, death from from this illness different from the Boeing plane, but these are two things where a lot of companies are trying to judge how bad things are going to be. Elon Musk has made a judgment that he's going to be fine no matter what after today. Of course, Charlie Munger uh, was asked about Tesla stock uh, the other day, yesterday at this annual meeting. Take a listen. I would never buy it, and I would never sell short. <laughs> I have a third comment. There was a man in Los Angeles for years, named Howard Amundsen. He once said something that I've taken to my heart. He said, 
Never underestimate the man who overestimates himself. I think Elon Musk is peculiar, and he may overestimate himself, but he may not be wrong all the time. Charlie Munger, 96 years old, uh, went off on a bunch of topics. Technological change, the way Chinese hold stocks, uh, wretched excess around the world. Well, look, you have to, he's been a great investor. Um, I don't necessarily want to look at Empirically, it was great to own Tesla. Sometimes I look at it like that. I say, you never wanted to buy it, never sell it. It reminds me of when, uh, when his partner, Warren Buffett, was uh, talking about technology, never wanted to buy it, and suddenly he buys Apple as one of the greatest investments of all time. So, I mean, I think these guys have the right to change their minds, where, where I'm going. His right to change his mind, even at 96. It was a good investment, Tesla. It was. I don't want to, not, I'm not, never going to be proud of not buying Tesla. No. Not a good idea. But at least you didn't short it. When we come back, we got an earnings beat for Pepsi. The stock's near a record high, and we're going to talk to CFO Hugh Johnson in a moment. Live shot of Capitol Hill as well as the president's Federal Reserve Board nominees, including uh, Judy Shelton and Christopher Waller, will testify before Senate banking. We will monitor that hearing and bring you up to speed in real time. We'll get to AMAT and Cisco. We'll get you this Caterpillar upgrade at Goldman when we come back. Don't go anywhere. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Pepsi with higher sales in the fourth quarter, beating analyst expectations as its namesake beverage and snacks drove gains along with sales in international markets. Sarah Eisen is here at Post 9, along with PepsiCo Vice Chairman and CFO Hugh Johnston, who's also a member of the CNBC CFO Council. Morning, Sarah. Morning, Carl. Morning, Hugh. Thanks for joining us again. Good morning. Good to be with you all, Sarah. So, good quarter, capping off a, a solid year. Wanted to zero in on the beverage business in particular in North America because it came in a lot better than analysts expected and has shown a lot of improvement even with Coca-Cola upping its game and its performance. What are you doing there to, to turn it around and how sustainable is it? Yeah, we, we feel very, very good about North America beverages and, and the performance for the year. You know, if you go back a year ago, we talked about this notion of the company pivoting to growth. So a little bit less margin focus, a little bit more orientation towards growth. And with that, we look to invest back in the business under a a framework of faster, stronger, and better. Faster being more advertising, more feet on the street selling. We organize the, the business to get closer to the customer. And frankly, it's working really, really well. Uh, the advertising is paying off. I, if you saw the Super Bowl, it was awfully hard to miss us and certainly hard to miss our, our beverage ads. Uh, in addition to that, we've put a lot of selling capacity in, and the innovation has been absolutely terrific. Gatorade Zero is doing phenomenally well. That'll likely be a billion-dollar business in the next year or two for us. Bubbly is continuing to perform at outstanding rates. Consumers just love Bubbly, and now we're going to launch a Bubbly with caffeine. Uh, Mountain Dew is the one that's been a bit more of a laggard, for, but frankly, with Mountain Dew Zero Sugar, uh, the product tastes, I think, better than the original Mountain Dew. So I think it's yeah, a combination I, I, of all those things. 
I wanted to bring up Mountain Dew. I know it's an important brand and it has been struggling. What, what's the plan there? Yeah, the, the biggest thing is we, we really have, have sharpened up the advertising. And if you saw our Super Bowl ad, I, I think it was terrific. In addition to that, there's a big zero sugar market out there for Mountain Dew. And Mountain Dew Zero Sugar as a brand, we think, has got an enormous amount of potential. That combined with the fact that our organization is executing well in the marketplace, I, I don't think of this as quarters of good performance. I think of it as years of good performance to come. I, I feel like we're very much on the right track with PBNA and, and think we're going to do terrifically well there this year. Hey, you, Jim. Good to see you, of course. Hey, Jim. One of the things that I think uh, that Indra put in place, Indra Nui, and, and now we, we've got Mr. LaGuardia, but uh, is uh, SodaStream, one of the last things she did. And I've always felt that this is at the heart of sustainability. And I think that we deal with a lot of companies now, and they want to try to figure out how not to have plastic. Uh, is this not the longer-term hope for those who think that you put too much plastic out into our earth? Yeah, I mean, Jim, obviously, we're, we're doing a lot of things to manage, uh, manage plastic and to reduce the impact of plastic. SodaStream was one of major strategic thrusts in that regard. And that business is also doing very, very well, and it really is early days as well. Uh, if you look at the SodaStream business in totality, it grew over 20% last year. Uh, it is now a billion-dollar business for us. So we've added another billion-dollar brand to the portfolio with the growth that we've, we've experienced in the last year. And frankly, if you look at the opportunities for growth, in Northern Europe, the penetration of that business is as high as 20%. In the United States, it's down around 1%. So I, I think, again, we've got many, many, many years of growth in, in SodaStream, and it's going to be an important, not just product, but an important platform for PepsiCo as we build out our businesses more broadly to capture growth. Right now, we are starting to see some advertising for it. I was kind of a, uh, it was a quandary to me why you didn't put some advertising initially for it. Are we going to be starting to think of SodaStream as a major platform where we're going to see as much advertising for that as we would say uh, Diet Pepsi? I, you know, over the course of the next five or ten years, I wouldn't be shocked to see that. Not at all. I, I think SodaStream has, has got potential for probably exponential growth if we really get the model right in the United States and as consumers start to focus in on it. So I, I think it's terrific. It's the leading brand that's out there by far. It'll capture a disproportionate share of the growth that's out there even as the leading brand. And yeah, it's, it's a platform that we're super excited about. Well, I want to talk about flaming hot everything. I mean, Frito-Lay, Innovations. Every food company, Hugh, wants to get more into snacking right now. How crowded is that becoming for you? Actually, to tell you the truth, in a lot of ways, we, we see it as an opportunity. Good competition, I think it's very healthy for the category because it creates a, a level of interest that's even higher. Clearly, snacking is on trend right now with busy lifestyles. And to your point about Flaming Hot, we're, we're onto something there that I think is going to continue to grow for a long time. Uh, the Flaming Hot platform, because it touches just about every one of our brands, grew double digits last year. We expect it'll grow double digits this year. Uh, I, I've often joked with our guys and said, maybe we need to have Flaming Hot Oatmeal next as a, as a new platform. <laughs> I, I don't know about that one. Hugh, uh, you've got a good global perspective. I know China's not a huge portion of your sales, but you do have a plant in Wuhan. So give us some color as to what you're seeing there as a result of coronavirus. Yeah, I, obviously it's a very difficult situation in, in China. And I think the, the government is taking all, all the steps that they can to try to manage this. Uh, from our perspective, it, it obviously happened during Chinese New Year, so a number of our employees 
uh, were not working during that time anyway. Uh, we, we basically had all of our plants closed for a short period of time. All but one of our plants are back open, but uh, our interest is in first, making sure our employees are okay. Second, uh, doing what the government directs us to do. Uh, given the plants are up and running, we, we're back in business again. Distribution is a little bit of a challenge, but we, we feel like we're getting ourselves back. That said, it, it'll have something of an impact on the China business. For PepsiCo overall, China is less than 2% of our overall company, so it, it shouldn't be material based on everything we know right now. One more quick comment, since you have such a good handle on the U.S. consumer. Are you seeing the, the continued growth in employment and wage gains play out? We are. We, we see the U.S. consumer right now as, as very healthy, and we're certainly seeing uh, lots of positives in all of our businesses. I mean, if, if you think about it, Frito-Lay had its fastest growth last year since 2013, uh, PB&A since 2015, QF&A since 2015. So the growth environment in the U.S., driven by a healthy consumer, couldn't be better. Hugh Johnston, thanks for joining us. As always, CFO at PepsiCo and Vice Chairman as well. Thank you. And Sarah, thanks to you. We'll get Kramer's Mad Dash and count down to the opening bell after a short break. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Coronavirus worries uh, flare up again as China changes their methodology. Plenty else to watch, though. Cisco, AMAT, Kraft Heinz, BABA, Tesla, and some Fed hearings today at Senate Banking. Opening bell in four and a half minutes. Welcome back. We're going to take you right to an opening bell uh, in a minute and a half. But let's squeeze in a mad dash. AMAT. One of, the, materials. one of the more eloquent people out in Silicon Valley is a guy named Gary Dickerson. And Gary is the president and CEO of Applied Materials. In his excellent quarterly report at the beginning, he talks about why the semiconductor equipment company is seeing business like it's never seen. And it, what it says is it used to be a sink or swim business. There'd be a lot of equipment ordered, and then there'd be very little order. A lot of because of the secular change of having devices, Internet of Things, different, uh, the, the need for semiconductors everywhere, it's no longer boom and bust the way it used to be. And what that's giving it is saying, you know what? Even on a day when they tell you China could uh, hurt us, you'll see the stock go higher. And all he's saying is China's going to push out some of the growth, but we're no longer boom bust. We're much more secular, and people are believing, and I believe them. I believe them because of all the devices that we see that have chips, and you need their equipment in order to make it. So it's a really great quarter. Maybe it deserves a higher price earnings multiple, and that's what it's going to get. Making equipment maker. Yes. And Dicker, 
But you, if you need to learn this industry, there's 400 words that will tell you everything. So read their read their report. It's really good. That was the opening North American Transportation and Logistics Company celebrating its listing at the NASDAQ. It's the Greenwood Project, a Chicago-based nonprofit introducing minority students to careers in finance. Speaking of equipment makers, Jim, Goldman Ups Caterpillar to buy, uh, 168's their 12 months. They're talking about cap utilization rates in U.S. construction, dealer inventories troughing out. Yeah, I I think that that call on any other day would have been a better call. I think that what will happen is people are looking for a way to be able to get out of, of uh, uh, China exposure. So they're going to hit that one and hit Cummins. It's a well-reasoned piece, but in the way the market works these days, people are saying, you know what, I think China's really bad. Where can I get an uptick? Where can I blast? I mean, where can I get someone buying it? So uh, don't don't chase those stocks. It, it don't don't buy them today. Uh, there will be too many hedge funds that want out of them, saying they're China stocks and orders are going to be delayed. Sell, sell, sell. So poorly timed upgrade. All right. Uh, normally we would talk to Chuck Robbins uh, post right. earnings. Yes. Uh, but it's this is going to be the third disappointing earnings gap in a row. Yeah. Now my trust is on it forever. Let me give you the way I look at it. There are discrete events that do impact the so-called enterprise, not the consumer. Brexit really did hurt them. China's only 2%, but obviously China's completely paused. Uh, The service provider business that they have uh, spent a fortune maintaining, still no orders yet. Uh, When you look at the way the calendar works, you're going to begin to start getting easier comparisons. They're still buying back stocks slightly. They give you a 3% yield. They did boost the dividend. Is Chuck Robbins on the hot seat? I would argue that he did not say anything the previous quarter that would have made you buy it up to 49, but the market did. He's kind of stuck with the fact that he did what he said he was going to do. I did not see the degradation that people say, but I didn't see anything to get excited about. I think that if you sell it now, six months from now, you'll regret it. But um, the urgency is not there to own it, is the way I would put it. But to, like, flee it because they've done something wrong. No, I'll defend Chuck on that. Chuck said he was going to do X. He did X. People want more than X, and they didn't get it. Our statistician, Robert Hum, points out Cisco is going to be over six months the second worst Dow component uh, behind Exxon. And Chuck Robbins did talk about uh, 5G in the U.S. Take a listen. I think the U.S. is in really good shape. I think, you know, we have packet core. We've got, you know, cell site and radio backhaul. we got the IP routing core. we got security. Um, and we have, obviously, there's a couple of companies in Europe, one in South Korea, that provide the radio technology. There's also uh, software players that are out there right now that are building, you know, disaggregated open RAN solutions that can be used in, in the future. And um, so we're spending a lot of time helping them understand that and, and uh, working to uh, just make sure that there's a recognition that there's a lot of technology that's been built and being built here in the United States. I don't think the U.S. government should make investments in these companies. Yeah, I mean, he's talking specifically about this Bill Barr effort to potentially buy significant stakes in Ericsson and Nokia, not necessarily not saying we shouldn't invest in 5G, but... Chuck's point was there's plenty of technology here in this country that can be used, that can be continued to develop that will 
put us in a good position in terms of 5G infrastructure, Jim. Right, but... But it, I don't know what pl- replaces Huawei. No, 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 and, and I know that... we're using Huawei, but worldwide. I think he's been to the White House a couple of times trying to explain yeah. the, the way it works, but I would... Now, here again, this is the problem with Cisco. They are enterprise 5G. 2020 is the year where we're spending on consumer 5G. You, me, you. 2021 is enterprise 5G. He will not see any spend of any significance for 5G this year. So if you're buying it after listening and saying, you know what, I'm going to get good 5G numbers, you're not. You're going to be disappointed. Stop buying it on that. That does not happen until Q1 of 2021. People keep jumping. He has said over and over again, we're enterprise 5G. Enterprise 5G is not till next year. I just don't want people to jump the gun. He's he's not being conservative. He's being actual. Right. Right. Um, Worth hitting shares of Alibaba, which are not down that much um, in terms of the numbers themselves. They did spend a good amount of time on the call talking about what we talked at the open of the show, of course, and do very frequently now the impact of the coronavirus uh, in China and particularly on Alibaba's business as well. Revenue, by the way, was up 38 percent year over year. Annual active consumers on the retail marketplace, they say, reached 711 million. That was up uh, 18 million from the 12 month period. That's not that much. Mobile MAUs. Also increasing 39 million. That's a lot of people access the platform. Uh, in fact, more than not on mobile. But here's what they had to say about the impact so far uh, of the coronavirus. This is uh, Daniel Zhang, the uh, man who runs the company, uh, executive chairman, CEO. For our e-commerce business, the delay in employees returning to work following the spring festival holiday is preventing merchants and logistic companies from resuming operations. For the first two weeks after the Chinese New Year holiday, we've observed active impact from our commerce business as merchant operations have not returned to normal and a significant number of packages were not able to be delivered on time in our new, in our retail business, limitations in delivery capacity, preventing order volume from wholly recovering, local as well, consumer services, restaurant businesses, food delivery orders down noticeably year over year. Of course, many restaurants haven't resumed. All that said, they're also seeing categories like grocery shopping increasing sharply as people get stuff delivered to the home. Travel also, of course, down sharply. You see also they said 17 years ago the e-commerce business experienced tremendous growth after SARS. Yeah. We believe that adversity will be followed by change in behavior among consumers and enterprises and agreeing in suing opportunities. So, right. I mean, you know, you, on the one hand and on the other. To people well, who are staying home and yes. now become much more accustomed to doing to ordering the way they might not have previously. Do you do you buy into that? I do. I do too. I do. I thought that was very common yeah, sense. I think that so you you could argue that, yeah, that I know. I mean, that that's their, their their business when things are normalized will have benefited. Yeah, I'm I'm banking on that. I do think it's a great company. I do. Uh, how about Kraft Heinz? You think that's a great company? No. Okay. No, not at all. Yeah. Wow. You know, they are uh, Jim going to be. Um, um, they're seeing the beginning of stabilization, they say, in their uh, in the second half of the trends that they saw in the second right. half of last year, in their EBITDA performance. Uh, their CEO saying they believe the essential ingredients for a turnaround are now in place. People with deep experience and key roles to drive functional excellence, perspective on where consumers are going, and how we can win produ- productivity initiatives with detailed jobs to be done and a financial profile with strong free cash flow. 
I'm not quite sure I know exactly what that means. No, it's. Uh, um, I want to double click on that. Overall sales down 2.2% when you adjust for everything, constant currency and everything else. 2.2% decline in sales. I don't know where the turnaround is. They're losing a lot of share, David, in a lot of different aisles. They are the whipping boy. I don't know. Come on. They've un- developed a much better understanding of future consumers, a long-term vision for the company, and a strategic plan that they're excited about, Jim. They're excited? Come on. Ah, it's jumping up and down. Terrific. Yeah. Yeah. I- uh, by the way, we're going to share a lot more of that in early May in New yeah, York, I believe. Instead of March, we were yeah. looking for the plan to come May. in March. It's going to be late. I, I, you know, look, it's a, it, they didn't cut. I, I, I was looking for something to say, and I realized they didn't cut the dividend. <laughs> David? No, they did they not. Kept the dividend. They kept the so dividend. So why don't you get on board, man? I know. Um, um, get on the yeah. bus, Gus. They didn't cut the dividend. When is Warren Buffett just going to say, see ya? Well, I know, because they're busy avoiding Tesla. No, that's not Warren Buffett. That was that's Charlie, Charlie Munger's partner. Um, They're even saying that you know, talent's one of their concerns. Talent. Of course um, it, yeah, talent. Like, talent. Yeah. There's talent short. Uh, Munger had some, I guess, net kind words for, for Musk, saying don't count him out uh, in yeah. a sense. But he did have some, uh, some tough words for companies that try to post earnings through the lens of adjusted EBITDA. Take a listen to that. I don't like it when investment bankers talk about EBITDA, which I translate as at earnings. Basically said, why would you post EBITDA? It basically is admitting that you're a flake. I love him. Yeah, I mean, I remember the days when we never... I first heard of EBITDA from the man to my left. And I said, what is that? Is that like earnings? I said, no, it's EBITDA. That's what the cable company uses, EBITDA. I said, well, I like the EPS. Or earnings but you were the one. I said, well, the A. And I said, well, I took yeah. accounting. Yeah, the A. I mean, well, what are you doing? And he said, no, David, David said, Jim, this is how people are going to start valuing companies. I said, that's, that's inconceivable to me. Now when anything comes out from Silicon Valley, you got to see if it's adjusted EBITDA, not just EBITDA. Correct. That's right. So, by the way, the adjustments are more important right. than anything these days because you don't know how companies are adjusting for different things, some right. of which are not necessarily one-time occurrences, but they say they are. Well, you were also watch out for those who adjust for compensation. Well, I was going to say, David once said, you know what, well, Jim, you got to watch how much they pay their employees in stock. That can destroy. And then it suddenly became the yeah. Munger's right. I mean, we are so we're far adjusted. afield. Yeah. The adjusted before stock consideration. Yeah. He called it basic intellectual dishonesty. We just had a big discussion about Uber, though, setting an EBITDA profitability target for year-end. Does this do anything to cloud that? Well, there, at least, it, it's directional. I mean, I like the direction that Dara's going. Uh, I would match their legal counsel, Tony Westwood, against anybody in terms of tell, doing it right. The idea behind when I go over the Uber quarter was like, listen, we're not going to just reach for revenues anymore. We're going to reach for profitable revenues. And, uh, you know, that's a change you know, versus Casper. What was Casper reaching for? I'm not sure. Mattress sleep? week? Lots of sleep. I don't know. Got a lot of sleep. Castro convertibles. Gotcha. Remember them? I do. Raul? Um, free cash flow is something we've always focused on FCF? as well, which is important. FCF. Uh, and by the way, sometimes reported earnings and cash don't match up at all. Think GE in terms of earnings, but what was no. the cash number? Well, they used the adjusted number. operational yeah, cash, too. They but. had their own terms, GE. And I used to go, I, mean, I had a great accounting professor, and their terms were not in any text that I've ever seen. Remember the AOECF 
What was that? It was right. like the eye chart. Yeah, you know, it's like B, C, O, E. That one eye. Now right eye. A, E. Right? It was an eye chart. All fair points that Mr. Munger makes. Yeah. Yeah. You introduced these terms. I did. That's why we're That's stuck my with it. Fault. It yes, is. I will take David blessed them. If he had never reported on them, no one would ever used them. But David blessed I was, EBITDA. I was, I was mystified by the bankers. They took my mind and turned it inside out. Yeah. Can I tell you? They, they got you. They got me. They infected you early on. <laughs> you were, you were patient number you one in EBITDA. That, that you were patient term? number one EBITDA. I don't, I don't <laughs> All right, whatever. Jim, you got thoughts on Judy Shelton as she uh, is on the tape now uh, saying that uh, the president has the right to criticize the Fed, but that nobody's going to tell her what to do as well, a Fed official. I don't know. I mean, it's his. It's certainly his uh, his choice. I mean, I think, by the way, that that I will defend his right to do whatever he's wanted, because a lot of presidents have done it, just not recently. So we don't know. I mean, it, it, President Obama was just not in the habit of talking about this stuff at all. But there's a lot of presidents who who've just and President Nixon, not that he was necessarily sure. the paragon. But more broadly, uh, she's asked why we need a central bank at all. She's talked yeah. about the gold standard, the gold standard. Yeah. Boy, that would be awful. Uh, yeah, fascinating. Guys, uh, to just come back to some more earnings, one we don't always talk about, Nestle reported numbers, too, um, in contrast to uh, Kraft Heinz. They've been doing a lot of divestitures at Nestle, yes. guys, and it's interesting. Uh, CEO uh, uh, Mark Schneider actually said he regrets 2019 was light on acquisitions and heavy on disposals. And so a number of huh. people who watch Nestle and are forecasting what the company may do this year when it comes to M&A are encouraged by those comments and the belief that he will, they will be more aggressive buyers of assets as opposed to just disposing. That's fascinating. They've been very active. Yeah. They have changing they, the portfolio. By the way, can Nestle. we just say he's done an unbelievable job? He's been terrific. Yeah, go back and take a look. He's been, look at that. It's been terrific. The Starbucks partnership, they did push back their China sales goal to yeah. add them to the list of the Nikes and Under Armors and Callaway Golfs that are... Uh, citing coronavirus as an impact for the first half. Airbus is going to lose a week of productivity. Interesting, though, Airbus said that they're not benefiting from the max because they, too, are sold out until 2025. I know. I mean, people just think that it's that it is win one, loss one. The reason why everyone has ultimately always wanted to go back to Boeing is because you can't get planes. And that was something that Mr. McNerney once explained to me, which is it's a 20-year wait list, Jim. So don't think that we're going to ever be out of the running. So it is. That plane's going to fly again. It really the is. Max. That plane, yeah, that's going to fly again. I actually feel better about it now than I did even just uh, the, uh, once that Mr. Calhoun got a came piece in. That uh, Calhoun has fired the 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 employee who was in charge of the other employees who yes. sent those emails, even though he never sent or received any of those emails. But on Wall Street, remember, it's that failure to supervise. I thought that was the right thing to do. There was a tremendous failure of supervision at that company. Right from the top. This Calhoun's really, I, I, I like everything he's done so far. I really do. I, I do. Yeah, he does not have a failure to communicate. No. You mean like we're shaking it, boss? <laughs> Dow's uh, down 121 off the initial lows. Let's get to Bob Bassani. Good morning, Bob. Lowe's, Carl. I was a little surprised. There were some big names down 2% pre-open, but the low print was right at the open, and we have bounced ever since then. Just take a look at uh, sectors. Uh, emerging markets had a tough time. China, MCHI, that's the main one you want to watch. That's been rallying a lot here. Even there, pretty modest decline. Energy was negative, turned positive now. Semis were down almost 1%. You can see fractional declines now. Industrials, this is what you want to watch in terms of uh, global market impact, and you can see this is a very, very 
modest response overall. Let's take a look at the coronavirus stories that David was mentioning, Alibaba, talking about a significant impact on China's economy and potentially affecting the global economy. That's from the call. Ralph Lauren, two-thirds of their stores are closed over there. Nestle's operations have resumed, but at a reduced rate over there. And Nuskin, that's the one you really want to watch. A third of their business is mainland China. Possible 20 to 25 percent decline in their sales. But even here, look, Alibaba, these are not that horrible considering uh, direct stories related to coronavirus. Obviously, their new skin particularly impacted, though, down about 15 percent. Let's take a look at some other things here. The Fang names here, considering how stupidly overbought some of these stocks have been in the last couple of weeks. Again, very modest declines. Amazon's just been a monster in the last couple of weeks, down fractionally. Netflix is positive here. Uh, you can see here, uh, <laughs> rather surprising response here to what's been going on. And when I say overbought, I use simple two-week uh, metrics. This is relative strength. When you're over 70, this is the last couple of weeks trading action. You're overbought. When you're over 80, you're stupidly overbought. You're like you're generally asking for the market to correct or the stock to correct. But you can see here, again, very modest responses considering how overbought some of these big names are. Finally, uh, retirement commentary from Fidelity. They're putting out a report about the state of their 401k plans and their IRA plans. Here's the good news. There's a record number of 401k millionaires out there, and that's certainly good news here. Uh, 441,000 IRA and 401 accounts have a million dollars or more in them. That's about 1.6% of Fidelity's IRA and 401 accounts. So it's small, but they have a big effect on averages. So we put out these numbers that say, oh, the average account has the following amount in it. Average account for baby boomers, 56 to 73 years old, $210,000. But again, that's dragged up by those million, that small group of millionaires out there. I always look at the median. Look at that, 69000 for 56 to 73 years old. That's a baby boomer right now. That's not a lot of money. 50% have more, 50% have less. So yes, there's a lot of good news out there. Markets up, helping our retirement accounts. More people are saving more. That's helping the retirement accounts. All this is good news, but people still don't have nearly enough. And remember, they're going to live into their 90s, many baby boomers. They're going to have problems running out of money, and that's what I'm concerned about long-term. And Carl, that's something the rest of the country really needs to work on. Back to you. Let's get to the bond pits as well. Rick Santelli at the CME in Chicago. Good morning, Rick. Good morning, Carl. You know, right in the beginning of Bob's piece, he talked about how we've seen such a big reversal off the worst levels, especially if you look overseas. That dynamic changed interest rates as well. Look at a 24-hour chart of 10-year note yields. Before the sun rose over the Empire State Building, we we're trading around 156. Now we're at 162, only down one basis point. Listen. Of late, there is some magnetic pull on stocks as they either improve on a down day or go record higher. But that force is less and less, obviously, as you look at the year-to-date chart. When was the high yield for 10-year note yields? Basically the first trades of the year at 192. That's where it closed. And if you look at the low at 150 and change, you can see, yes, we're up a dozen basis points, but we're basically down 30 basis points for the year. All bounces are minor. We have two days resistance at 160 going through. It becomes a big deal with no follow-through. Here's the market that actually is trending and you can count on. Look at one week of the dollar index. It broke its streak, but it still continues to hover, as you see here, at the best levels we've seen on a closing basis, even intraday since early October. Actually, let's zoom, zoom, zoom that chart back to the spring of 2017 because we are about three-eighths of a cent away, less than a half a cent considering we're losing some ground now from 33-month highs. 
which the euro weakness is already comping to back to May of 2017. Carl, David, Jim, back to you. All right, Rick, thanks so much. Rick Santelli, still to come. The FTC says it plans to examine these past acquisitions by four of the FANG companies and Microsoft, but that's not enough for one lawmaker on the Hill. We'll talk to U.S. Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri, who wants to overhaul the FTC in an effort to rein in big tech. Opened down 187, currently down 119. Don't go, don't go away. Dow has cut its initial lows in half. We're down 106. Cisco largely to blame, by far the worst performing component right now. A reminder, you can always watch us live on the go on the CNBC app. Try to download that. We're back in a moment. Let's get to Kramer and stop trading. I have been a huge supporter of Square from the Sarah Fryer days. It is a Jack Dorsey company. Uh, I continue to believe it's going to be good, but I just want to point out that last night I had Shopify on, and they have a point-of-sale system they're going to be introducing that is going to be directly rival Square. It's not yet. Square can keep going up, but just be careful because Shopify is very powerful, and if they want to uh, take a lot of share, they're going to be able to do so. So be a little more moderate in your uh, support of Square. I am. All right, Jim. What's tonight? Okay. We've got a crazy market Ring Central is, if you look at this, is Vlad, the Impaler. This stock is up 40% in like five minutes, uh, like many of the companies that are involved with software as a service. And you know what? There's no beating these companies. You can't short them and you can't own them. Who said that? <laughs> Jim, we'll see you tonight. Wild market. Yeah, this crazy wow. day. It's, uh, Mad Money's at 6 p.m. tonight. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.